Welcome to In His Grip with Dr. Chuck Betters, Senior Pastor at Glasgow Church in Bear, Delaware. In His Grip is a daily broadcast presented by Mark Inc. Ministries. In today's sermon entitled, Does Jesus Matter to You? Dr. Betters uses numerous statistics and surveys to prepare us to answer some important questions including, how do we reach the 18 to 30 year olds who are leaving the church in droves? What compromises are being made in order for churches to be inclusive? Who do people say that Jesus is? And the most important question, does Jesus matter to you? Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. It's good to be back with you. It's uh, good to go away, but it's also good to come back and be with you guys. Uh, I watched uh, online when we weren't, when we didn't go to a church down there. Uh, watched a former, we did go to a church, a PCA church in Naples to watch a former member of our church here become installed as an elder in a great church down in Naples. Uh, we were there for his ordination. It was just a, a great thing to watch. And uh, afterwards, so when I went up to congratulate him, he grabbed me and hugged me and just started sobbing, just couldn't stop sobbing. And uh, it was just good to see one of our own just somewhere else uh, taking the gospel of Christ uh, into leadership roles. You know, so much is being made today, if you have Matthew 16, so much is being made today of the changing culture and uh, the shifting sands of church life. I have done a lot of reading, and I know many others are doing a lot of reading, because attendance in many churches, unlike ours, uh, attendance in many churches is dramatically falling off. In most denominations, they're reporting significant losses of members, especially in the age group of 18 to 30. And so the church necessarily is faced with the challenge of trying to ascertain what, if anything, she should do to change the strategy to reach the masses, especially these young people who seem to be walking away. And many theologians across the spectrum, uh, from liberal to conservative, have weighed in on this phenomenon. You hear, hear it on the news, you see it on TV, it's reported in major magazines, and of course the liberal press is all too quick to pick up on the fact that we have, as churches, lost significant numbers of people. Now, because of this, many labels have arisen, uh, such as the emerging church, uh, the new perspectives on Paul, which is nothing short of doctrinal heresy, and there are many new pseudo-denominations in various movements that have come into play within evangelicalism to capture or to try to capture this generation that seems to be slipping away. There's even a groundswell of new and continued dialogue with Roman Catholics on how evangelical Christians and Roman Catholics can become one theologically to bridge the theological gap, which I believe is impossible to bridge without divine intervention. And with the election of a new pope, there is hope, especially among so many young people uh, who are being told now, being uh, 
asked to, quote, come back home to the Catholic Church, even though this new pope promises the same old traditions, the same old theology, the same old uh, uh, doctrines, the same old worn-out theology of salvation by works. Yet for some reason, the young people are sparking to this new pope in hopes that something inside of that branch of Christianity is going to tick uh, their fancy and bring them back into the fold. There seems to be a clarion cry for the church to become more socially relevant in order for us to reach these young people, that we have to change our views and change our thinking. And there are many examples I can give you of this, but one that is very pertinent to what is going on in our own state right now. Uh, there's a whole brand new church that seems to be emerging, a whole new kind of Christianity that seems to be emerging around the idea of changing our perspectives on some of the social sins of our time. I came across uh, an article about a church in a major metropolitan area that is just starting up. Their goal is to start a whole new denomination. And they have billboards across this particular state advertising people for people to come to their website. And when you go to their website, you read things like this that on the surface sound very doctrinally good and doctrinally challenging. Uh, let me read from their website. It says, our vision is to become one of the world's foremost emerging churches. Then share that model of ministry with others, ultimately affecting the course of the global Christian movement. Although there is no one fixed definition of an emerging church, we define it as a church that operates in accordance with the guiding principles listed below. Congregations who self-identify as emerging churches are generally motivated by a deep desire to move beyond the conservative liberal divide that has come to characterize modern Christianity and get back to focusing on the basics like following Jesus as presented in the Gospels. Emerging churches encourage honest questions and allow room for freedom of thought and conscience. There is a huge gap between how Jesus is described in the Bible and how he's often presented in many churches. It's almost as if the real Jesus, who is generous and loving, has been kidnapped. And a false Jesus, who is mean and judgmental, has been trotted out in his place. At our church, we're under no illusion that we've got it all figured out. But we are genuinely concerned and want to spark an honest dialogue. And then they raise a series of bullet points that highlight what they're trying to say. The real Jesus, they say, taught that his followers should take a flexible approach, doing what love requires in any situation. And by the way, they have scriptures for every single one of these. Many churches today teach that rules are more important than love. The real Jesus offered hope. One of his most common statements was, be not afraid. Many churches today actively promote fear. 
The real Jesus defended sinners from attack. Many churches today lead the charge against them. The real Jesus empowered women spiritually. Many churches today teach that only men are worthy of spiritual leadership. The real Jesus encouraged simple living. Many churches today celebrate flashy materialism. The real Jesus celebrated diversity in God's creation. Many churches today call diversity an abomination. The real Jesus boldly crossed racial and ethnic boundaries. Many churches today are segregated by race and ethnicity. The real Jesus celebrated life and loved having a good time. His first miracle was to create wine. Many churches today give the impression that fun is dangerous. And as I read through this statement and these bullet points, I couldn't help but think there's truth in this. There's a lot of truth in just about everything that they're saying. But what you do not know, what is not told you until later on in the document, is that this church is actively promoting the agenda of the Lesbian and Gay Task Force. Their goal is to start a lesbian and gay denomination. And on the other side of the coin, there is a cry within the evangelical church to get with the times, to understand that things around us have changed, to quit our endless parade of rules and regulations, to become relevant to the masses and to accept the fact that we have lost the cultural war. Americans now today, just five years ago, held a totally different belief than they do today. We are now, as Americans, even, evenly divided on the issue of gay marriage. But having read that, on the other side of the spectrum, I came across a letter which is an open letter to the churches from a lesbian. Let me read this letter to you, because I think it speaks volumes. To the churches concerning homosexuals and lesbians. And by the way, I'm only using the homosexual illustration as one. There are other illustrations we can use. We can talk about politics in the church. We can talk about uh, abortion. We can talk about uh, a whole slew of, of ideas, theological ideas that are being affected by society. I mean, even this morning I heard on uh, the t saw on the TV that there's now a new war on Easter. We want to get rid of the word Easter just like we got rid of the word Christmas. Uh, we don't want to call them Easter egg hunts anymore. We want to call them spring egg hunts. Uh, and, you know, just a few years ago, we laughed at the destruction of Christmas, and look what happened. When you're at work, in your culture, and the jobs that you work at around Christmas time, they don't say Merry Christmas anymore, do they? They won that. It's Happy Holidays, isn't it? Well, soon it will be Happy Spring. Forget about Easter. There's this all-out war on Christianity that we see taking place around us. So I'm only using this as just one example. This open letter goes like this, to the churches concerning homosexuals and lesbians. Remember, this is written by an avowed lesbian. Many of you believe we do not exist within your walls, your schools, your neighborhoods. You believe that we are few and easily recognized. I tell you that we are many. 
We are your teachers, doctors, accountants, high school athletes. We are all colors, shapes, sizes. We are single, married, mothers, fathers. We are your sons, your daughters, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren. We are in your Sunday school classes. We are teaching them. We are in your pews, your choirs, and yes, even your pulpits. I'm not one. <laughs> you choose not to see us out of ignorance or because it might upset your congregation. We are your congregation. We enter your doors weekly seeking guidance and some glimmer of hope that we can change. Like you, we have invited Jesus into our hearts. Like you, we want to be all that Christ wants us to be. Like you, we pray daily for guidance. Like you, we often fail. When the word homosexual is mentioned in the church, we hold our breaths and sit in fear. Most often, this word is followed with condemnation, laughter, hatred, or jokes. Rarely do we hear any words of hope. At least we recognize our sin. Does the church as a whole see theirs? Do you see the sin of pride that you are better than or more acceptable to Jesus than we are? Have you been Christ-like in your relationships with us? Would you meet us at the well or restaurant for a cup of water or coffee? Would you touch us even if we showed signs of leprosy or AIDS? Would you call us down from our trees as Christ did Zacchaeus and invite yourself to be our guest? Would you allow us to sit at your table and break bread? Can you love us unconditionally and support us as Christ works in our lives, as he works in yours, to help us all to overcome? To those of you who would change the church to accept the gay community and its lifestyle, you give us no hope at all. To those of us who know God's word and will not dilute it to fit our own desires, we ask you to read John's letter to the church in Pergamum. Quote, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who sought Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, unquote. You are willing to compromise the word of God to be politically correct. We are not deceived. If we accept your willingness to compromise, then we must also compromise. We must therefore accept your lying, your adultery, your lust, your idolatry, and your addictions, your sins. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We do not ask for your acceptance of our sins any more than we accept yours. We simply ask for the same support, love, guidance, and most of all, hope that is given to the rest of your congregation. We are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not what we shall be, but thank God we are not what we were. Let us work together to see that we all arrive safely home. A sister in Christ. That says worlds, doesn't it? That says worlds. With the closet now wide open, 
and arguably the shame removed, many evangelical Christians are discovering that some of their closest friends and relatives claim the gay and lesbian lifestyle. Thus, the church is faced with a dilemma. How do we speak grace to the hearer without without also embracing the sinful lifestyle? How do we strike that balance? Some evangelicals, pastors, teachers have basically said, well, it's not a sin. We misread the Bible. Some have gone that far as to say that. Others have said that it is not a sin to be singled out and is no worse than any other sin in the church, such as adultery or destructive gossip. Still, others have said that the Bible's message on homosexuality is outdated and has been abrogated by God's grace. And still others, evangelicals, go as far as to defend sexuality, a homosexuality, as a valid option by pointing to David in his relationship to Jonathan, claiming those two were homosexual. Some have even gone as far as to imply that Jesus was homosexual. The Huffington Post report, which is no friend to evangelicals, wrote an article recently on some of the big megachurches across the country, the 12, 15, 20,000 member churches, and the pastors who are now changing their tactics in dealing with the issue of homosexuality. One pastor is quoted as saying it would be the height of hypocrisy to condemn homosexuality and not adultery and unbiblical divorce. Support for gay marriage is especially strong among young adults. And researchers say that they don't expect this young adult group to become more conservative as time goes on as they get older. A 2011 survey by the nonprofit Public Religion Research Institute said that 62% of adults, 62% between the ages of 18 and 29, said that they support gay marriage. 71% of that same group support civil unions. Among those in my age group, 65 and older, those numbers were 31% in favor of gay marriage and 51% in favor of civil unions, a significant rise from just five years ago. And when asked about the perception that, quote, religious groups are alienating young people by being too judgmental about gay and lesbian issues, unquote, 69% of the younger group agreed with that statement. The Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life found that nearly 20% of all Americans now describe themselves as unaffiliated with any specific religion. And the problem for evangelical churches has become very apparent as people are leaving in droves. People are dropping out of the church in droves. Researchers say that it is because of the way we marginalize some people 
including people like gays and lesbians or people who have had abortions or believe in abortion. In 2011, the Southern Baptist Convention, this is what conventions and general assemblies like to do, they established task force. This was a task force on ministry to homosexuals. In its final report to the denomination in June of last year, this is the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Baptist body in the world. The task force members wrote, quote, the challenges we face are exponentially greater than they were 10 years ago. Homosexuality may well be the number one crisis facing the church in this generation, unquote. Now, as I said, we can make similar arguments about abortion, about politics in the church, about race relationships. And the reason I say that is because Satan has done a marvelous job of dividing the church and confusing her message. And that message all boils down to one very simple question that I believe summarizes the whole of the Bible. It's in Matthew 16, where Jesus turns to his disciples in the district of Caesarea Philippi, in verse 13, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I put it another way. Does Jesus really matter? Does he really matter? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Petros, small stone. And on this Petra, large stone, I will build my church. Just parenthetically, Peter is a part of the big rock just like you and I are a part of the big rock, but he is not the rock. The rock or the foundation is defined elsewhere in scripture as Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the builder and the architect. It is on this profession of faith, Peter, that you have made that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, and by the way, the exact Greek translation of this phrase, whatever you shall say has been bound on earth shall already have been bound by heaven. Meaning, you can only bind on earth what heaven has already agreed to bind. It does not give exclusive power to the church to bind and loose whatever she wants to bind and loose. It must be in accord 
with what God has already determined bound or loosed in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall already have been loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now there was a reason for that. The political heat was up. And the danger to these disciples was growing with each day. And the dangers and the risks to them before the crucifixion and the resurrection could occur was so enormous that Jesus wanted to first die on the cross, rise from the dead, ascend into glory to prove that he was the Christ that they were to proclaim and not have them prematurely martyred along with him. Dr. Betters asks us the key question, who do people say Jesus is? And does he really matter? Unless you declare him to be your savior, the Messiah, the son of the living God, you have not answered the most important question in all of life. Blessed is the man who recognizes and receives Jesus for who truly he is. Join us next time for the continuation of this message. Thank you for joining us for today's message from the Does Jesus Matter to You sermon. If you would like to receive a copy of this entire sermon, you can contact Mark Inc. Ministries and request Does Jesus Matter to You or simply reference sermon number 13-23. Mark Inc. Ministries can be reached toll-free at 877-MARK-INC. That's 877 877- 627-5462. Be sure to check out our website at www.markinc.org. Mark Inc. Ministries is a nonprofit ministry that appreciates your ongoing prayers and support. For more information, or if you would like to email us, go to markinc.org. Thank you again for listening to today's broadcast. Be sure to join us tomorrow as Dr. Betters continues this challenging message. Does Jesus matter to you? Have a blessed day and remember that God is sovereign and you can trust him as long as you are in his grip.